this one pair over the ear headphones, which I kind of like. The name of the brand is Skull Candy. I used to have Sony headphones because they had this pair of Sony headphones that were really cheap. The band over the top would always break it's like well what the fuck am i supposed to do with that but then i went like i bought these ones that were the skull candy hesh and they worked out pretty good and so you go to the store and they got all these other kinds of headphones there they got this kind the skull mm-hmm. candy like i think i went to best buy or something and they had the skull candy ones they were these ones are like 60 dollars or something like that then they have some sennheiser ones that were like 150 dollars and then they have Bose ones for 200 dollars and then they had the beats headphones and they were like $300. And I listened to all of them. I think for $60, I think these ones are pretty fucking good. Yeah, was that the Skull Candy one that you're, you went with? Yeah, Skull Candy one, yeah. I mean, they were only 60 bucks. Okay. Why should I spend $250 for Beats headphones if the sound is just well, as good? Well, yeah, I think Beats, aren't they just paying for Dr. Dre being their person? Their... Yeah, I think it, it, that's really the only thing. I think I read this article that was they give away the headphones to actors and basketball players and stuff like that, and then people buy yeah. Him because the basketball players have them. Yeah, it's pretty smart. I guess the quality of them isn't very good. Well, you would think though that those you think those basketball players though could have anything they wanted, and like even if they were given a, a free pair, they'd rather probably have the best pair. I don't know, unless I, they're actually getting paid to wear them. That's probably the case. They get a free pair of headphones and they get paid to wear them. Yeah, I guess yeah, that that would be the be only good. way. I mean, I guess it'd be worth it. So I think it costs five dollars to make them, but they charge two hundred fifty dollars for them because I think that like according to the article, it said the sound quality. Did you say five dollars to make them? Well, yeah, it was like really cheap. Apparently, it was like the people. I think that whatever it was, the marketing people, Dr. Dre or whoever, was like, okay, everybody's getting headphones that are like these earbuds with or with their iPhone. We need to have something that stands out so that people are like, oh well, these are an upgrade from the iPhone headphones that come for free. So if you got these, then you must really be doing good. It's like the same quality. Except for it's like an, like the bass is deeper. Like it's more bass heavy. And so it's like, oh, well, we have these headphones mm-hmm. that are like just a little bit bass heavy. But like basically the same quality as the headphones they're giving out for free. But because of style, like that's how they're able to charge so much money for them. Mm. I don't like it. I don't like it either. I'm not going to buy them. <laughs> yeah, I'm not either. I'm not going to spend that much money. If I could, if I could spend fifty dollars on a pair of headphones that I could, you know, record music and podcasts with, I'm not going to spend two hundred fifty dollars for some. Yeah. Oh man, Do, have we talked about like just the way things have changed so much about like endorsements and stuff? I think we touched on it. I think we were talking about Nirvana maybe a couple, couple oh. episodes ago. Yeah, we were talking about Nirvana and how uh, would they be as famous if Kurt Cobain wouldn't have killed himself? Yeah. Yeah, but I think that that whole thing, that whole grunge scene and the end of it, I feel like things changed there. Like I was I was listening to a podcast with the Black Keys. Uh-huh. And they were talking about how um, uh, some company – in England offered them like $250,000 to like, and to, to use one of their songs in their mayonnaise advertisement. Oh, wow. That's weird. <laughs> and they were, they said that they turned it down at the time because like back then it wasn't cool to sell out. Yeah. But now they were saying like, hell man, I like mayonnaise for $250,000. I really like mayonnaise. I like, 
And they were talking about how arrogant it was of them at that time to pass that money. Like when they like both of their families came up from like, you know, not real rich, not a real rich background to like turn down that much money just to have like a song in a mayonnaise commercial. They basically regretted not selling out. Yeah, well, I guess it's kind of it's crazy how that's changed. You know, I can see their points. I guess I guess that from my perspective, say you come out with an album, you have one song that everybody loves and they're playing it on the radio and stuff like that. And then the mayonnaise people call you up and they say, hey, we want to use your song in a mayonnaise commercial. But no one else knows your talent or your quality other than that song. If you go and you sell your song to the mayonnaise commercial and then people hear that mayonnaise commercial 10 times a day, your song is no longer your song. Your song is the mayonnaise song. So you get paid $250,000 to be the guy that wrote the mayonnaise song. But... Yeah. The fact of the matter is, is that, yeah, if you get that $250,000, I guess you kind of want to make it last. Because what if you never have another song that's as good as the Mayonnaise song? Like, you'll always be known as the, the band that had the Mayonnaise song. Like, you might not be, you might come out with another album where you're like, this is my life's work, or this is my stairway to heaven. They're like, you know, it's not as catchy as the Mayonnaise song, you know, and then you never get played on the radio again. Your legacy dies because of the Mayonnaise song. And then 50 years from now, all you hear on the radio is that Mayonnaise song that you wrote and you sold out for $250,000 and everything else you did was a flop. So I don't know. I guess if you sell out. I don't out, know. I think it all depends on, it depends on how things go for you pretty much. Like if you're, I, I, I can see that in a lot of different ways. Like if you're, if you think like all these people are going to get exposed to the song that haven't heard the song and it might be through a mayonnaise commercial, but there's going to be some people in that exposure that are going to be like, who wrote that song? Like, I don't care like what they're selling with it, but I really like that song and I'm going to be a fan of these guys now, you know, like there's going to be a positive thing that happens yeah, even if part of it is negative. But I guess it depends on, yeah, I mean, I know what you're saying, Dylan. But it depends on if that's the audience that you want, you know? Like, do you want people that find your song catchy because it's played out over the mayonnaise commercial? I mean, I guess that the thing of it is, is that if I was listening to a band and I heard their song over and over and over again, I mean, this happens all the time. I only listen to the radio in San Diego, on San Diego radio stations, as far as uh, music goes, at least for the last 15 years. I don't know what it's like in Cleveland or in Cincinnati, but there's certain songs where... Like the first time I heard them, I was like, oh, this is actually pretty good. But then you hear it for like the thousandth time and you're like, this song is fucking retarded. I can never appreciate this song again. So there's this one song. I know you heard it. It was by this musician called Gautier. And it's like, now you're just somebody that I used to know. Mm -hmm. When I first heard that song, I was like, wow, this song is really catchy. You know, but then I heard it a thousand times and I'm like, I can't listen to this song another time. I don't give a fuck about Gautier anymore. His yeah. next, the next song that he comes out with, it might be fucking brilliant, but because that song, it's like I lost respect. Just because they got overplayed? Yeah, dude. There's bands where it's so overplayed that I, I can't listen to them anymore. Or yeah, that, that song in particular was really overplayed, but I don't know if there's anything they could have done to stop it from being played so much. I, it, I think it was just such a catchy song. Well, yeah, but imagine if they did sell it. Like, imagine if it was a song that they had sold to be played you would hear it even more you know if it was if it was in a mayonnaise commercial 
it would not only be overplayed by the radio, it would be overplayed by the mayonnaise people too. Yeah, but you're saying you had a negative reaction to it, and it w- it wasn't sold. Yeah, to mayonnaise. Yeah, I already didn't like it after yeah, a while. Yeah, so I'm I'm saying like everything depends on everything. Like just because you sell it, I don't think it matters. Like because there are things beyond your control. Like especially a mayonnaise commercial. Like how often or how long is that gonna even run? That they're gonna play this rock song over this mayonnaise ad? I doubt that's gonna be played forever. And everybody, I, I don't know. It just depends. It depends on your catalog of music. Whether you're like a one-hit wonder, and that one hit was used for mayonnaise. Like, like an example would be like, do you remember that, uh, that Smash Mouth song? Hey, now you're an all-star. Yeah, yeah, I hear it all the time. And now, if I heard, now I I that song now, I would think Hardy because it was played in that commercial. Oh yeah, well they had the Venga Boys song. When we were in college, me and Smalls and Simmons would like a hype up song. We're about to go out to the club and listen to the Venga Boys. And yeah, you, they played it on uh, Six Flags commercials over and over. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. If you sell out your song, depending on what it is, you know, it's going to have association with that product. But I guess that I think I guess that it depends on where you want your career to go from there. Like if you want to be doing jingles for food stuffs or commercials, then yeah, you might be able to have your career be in that direction. But if you're making music for artistic purposes, then it might actually hinder your success, you know? Yeah, it can. I think it, it doesn't always though. I think it really depends on the all on the situation. Okay, so say, I remember there was a Dandy Warhols, you know that band? The Dandy yeah, Warhols. Yeah. I mean they started out from that kind of point of view of like don't sell out, you know, you gotta be organic with everything. But one of their songs was used like in a car commercial and i remember seeing that and i was like at the time i was like pissed off like oh i can't believe it well i can't believe they used that song in a car commercial but the car commercial was pretty lively and fun and it's not like they're gonna be like labeled as the uh toyota band i don't think i don't know they used that bohemian like you song in a lot of stuff yeah they did it was all over the place but i think that they have a lot of hits that bohemian like you song became popular long enough after they had already reached their height of success as kind of an indie group. I learned about the Dandy Warhols from you in like, I don't know, it was probably like 2001 or 2002 or something like that Mm -hmm. at at the earliest. And I think that Bohemian Like You song came out in like 1995. So it was already like seven years old by that time. And No, it would have been after, it would have been, their first album came out like in 97 or and that didn't have that song on it yet well I, so I thought, their next album i thought they became popular earlier it's one or two years after it was no that song i thought you were saying that song that that song's popularity 13 stories of urban bohemia i think came out in the like the late 90s but i think that their first album came out dude you know what though there was a song on that first album that was used in like there's something about mary and to bring it all back dude what? I think that's how I first heard about him was like, like, so I think that might, I mean, there's something to it, like finding your audience, just like using your music in any possible venue, get people to listen to you, become a fan, however you can. Yeah, I guess, I guess what it comes down to is, are you okay if you become the band that does the theme song for Veronica Mars? But yeah, but you won't necessarily, it's like a gamble. 
it's not necessarily going to work out like that, though. You know what I mean? That means like, that, like, if I wrote a long time ago, we used to be friends, and they were like, okay, we're doing this show about Kristen Bell, and she's her dad's a detective, and she's a detective, and she goes and she solves all these cases for high school to find out who killed her or her best friend. I would be like, okay, well, I want to see an episode. I want to see a pilot of the show before I show you the song. And then if I saw how cool of a show Veronica Mars was, I'd be like, hell yeah, I'll sell it. If it was like a stupid show, if it was like a lame show, I'd be like, eh, I don't know. Did you ever watch Veronica Mars, Dylan? No, I never did, but I definitely agree with what you're saying. Though. Like if I was going to sell my song, it would really have to depend on, on all the factors, on like what it was for. Like, There's Something About Mary, that's a pretty good movie. And if you have a chance of having a song in like a movie that might have like a cult following for a, a long time, you know, it's like, oh, yeah. Well, I think it's different than mayonnaise. I think having your song in a movie is different than having your song in a commercial. Yeah, well, they had their... Danny Worlds had their song in a car commercial, too. And I think that's, that would be the same situation. It's like, let me see the commercial, like... You know, that song, Bohemian Like You, is such a summery-sounding, like, riff that it's almost not even, like, I don't know. That song came out almost 20 years ago, though. That song? No, not, I mean, when that car commercial came out, it was only, like, a couple years old. Oh, it was. So it wasn't a recent car commercial. No, they keep selling it. Yeah. I mean, that song's got, like, a classic summery riff. Well, I mean, I think people like that, woo-hoo-hoo, in it. (laughs) It's a good song. I gotta say, <laughs> they really wrote that song. Is like almost like a perfect song. I don't know what it is. Yeah, it is like a perfect song. Me and Small saw the Dandy Warhols like three times in San Diego, and so mm-hmm. I have to really like a band to see them three times. I mean, if I didn't like them, I wouldn't have seen them that many times. And so I, I like them, and I listen to their music, and you know, they got I, great I, stuff, man. I bought their albums. You know, I actually haven't like stolen stuff. I've actually purchased their their music, so like, I actually like them. I don't know what it is about about them, but I'm not turned off by the fact that that song is played so much. Like as often as I hear it, I'm just like, oh yeah, that's the Dandies, you know. But I think that it's because I kind of started to like them before I feel like they sold out. You know, maybe, yeah. Maybe maybe that has something to do with it for me, where I feel like yeah. like I liked them. I liked them before they sold out, so it's okay. You know, but I. I I think the black keys are the same way in a lot of ways um i i was almost going to bring it up earlier today about how um so i've seen the black keys in concert before um i saw them when they did their rubber factory um album i think it was called mm-hmm. the rubber factory um it was yeah. like 10 a.m automatic was on there and all these other songs it was really a fucking awesome album i went to see them at the house of blues which is kind of like <laughs> it's not like a small venue but it's kind of like medium medium-sized venue mm-hmm. at least in san diego and then we the me and small saw him at smalls didn't go the first time i don't think but the second show they played at like a outdoor festival they had like headlines like um it's like an all-day festival where they had like eight bands play and they headlined mm-hmm. that so we went to see him that time and then the next time they played a concert in san diego they were playing at the sports arena so the first time we saw him it was probably 25 bucks to see the, to see the show and this was um this is like in the i don't know probably 2005 2006 something like that yeah it was probably like 2006 and then they played the the second time we saw him was probably 2000 and by 2010 they played and then the last mm-hmm. time they played was their last album came out 
a year or two ago. And so when we went to the festival, even the festival was like $35 to go to the festival. Maybe it was 40, but you got to see eight bands and like seven bands mm-hmm. other, in addition to the black keys. And then when I went and I looked at the tickets for the arena show, the cheapest tickets, Dylan were $80 to see the black mm-hmm. keys. And I yeah. thought to myself, like I like when that 10 AM automatic song came out and the, those records came out, I like really, I was like, this band is fucking awesome. Like that Brothers album, uh, Smalls and Andrea bought that for me for my birthday when it came out. And I listened to it like it was a drug, dude. Like, yeah, like it's a great album still. I had it in my car and I listened to it over and over again. It has that song, um, My Next Girl Will Be Nothing, My Best Girl Will Be Nothing Like My Next Girl or something like that. Or I don't remember what it was, but yeah, My Next Girl Will Be Nothing Like My Ex Girl. Yeah, yeah. And so I just broken up with my girlfriend at the time, or my girlfriend and I had broken up at the time. And I remember like screaming that, like in the car, <laughs> My yeah. Next Girl Be Nothing Like My Ex Girl. Like I was dude, like, dude, I still, I still relate to that song. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like I thought that song was like so great because I was like yeah you know it's like gives you hope so even yeah. even up to that point I was like like right on board you know and then I think I mean I don't know when they got super famous because you know if you like a band you know when their records are coming out you're listening to them and their album El Camino came out you were like yeah you know I'm still like the Black Keys I mean even their newest record the I think it's called Turn Blue maybe mm-hmm like even that one has some i really like that one too and so Mm -hmm. like i have i don't have all their albums on vinyl but i have like at least three or four of them on vinyl which means i i like really like them too i found what was really weird though is like when you are playing an arena and it's 80 dollars for the ticket it kind of made me feel like they were turning their back on me or something like that like who Hmm. who is filling this arena and who is paying 80 dollars for this and am i not a real fan anymore because i don't think that i should be paying 80 dollars after the two previous times didn't even equal eighty dollars, so I don't know. It's just weird. So part of it is like, uh, like I think Tom Petty is one here in June. And I really like to see him, but I think there's part of it. Part of it is like almost like crowd control, like with the prices. I think like too many. If you, if Tom Petty came and only charged twenty bucks a ticket, it'd be too many people. Like it would just, it would be sold out. I guess. I don't know. I guess they could do that. Just like sell everywhere. I think they have it figured out, though. I think that they know that there's a certain amount of people who go, and they're going to pay this amount. You know, I think they study it. I don't know. I don't know how they do it. I don't. I mean, I know what you. I guess you're. Yeah. I mean, what you're saying makes sense, but. There's so many people that I would want to see, but I I can't go see them now. I mean, Pink Floyd is like one of my bands that I really like, and I went nice. to see uh, Roger Waters in concert. He was the the bass player in Pink Floyd, and mm-hmm. um, he tours more than David Gilmour, who was the singer and the guitar player. I always wanted to see David Gilmour play because he's the singer of the band and the guitar player. Mm-hmm. When I went to see Roger Waters, Roger Waters only sang on like one out of ten songs, except for on the the Wall album. So if you go to see Roger Waters do the Wall, it's like oh he sings on almost every song, but every other song that they do, he has some other dude coming and sing. Some guy, oh really? Yeah, it's not that he's not good, like the other guy. It's just he's not the Pink Floyd singer. He's like yeah. some guy that was a hired gun. Yeah. <laughs> and even if that guy has been singing with Roger Waters doing the gave David Gilmore singing parts for 25 years, I still kind of feel like it's not the same. It's not the same as if 
I went to see David Gilmore. So I want to see David Gilmore. But he, instead of doing like a hundred shows, he'll do like a tour every 10 years and he won't come to San Diego. He'll do one show in LA. The cheapest tickets are like $150 and the most expensive ones are like $1,000. And so I have to like say, do I want to sit all the way in the back in the last row, spend $150 on the ticket plus whatever $25 service fee plus $25 to park. And (laughs) then I have to drive two hours from San Diego up to LA to go to the show. Oh man. Yeah. In my heart, I feel like, wow. Yeah, of course it's worth it because you know, it's the singer and the guitar player of Pink Floyd. He basically is Pink Floyd. I gotta go to this, but at the same time, I can't pull myself to fork over. That's asking a lot. I'm going to say that, will you drive from, San Diego to LA, how much will it cost? I don't know. I mean, I don't know how much it would cost for an Uber. Maybe it costs a hundred bucks. I'm going to say it costs a hundred bucks of my sanity to drive up how to LA. How many miles is it? It's like 120 miles. Man, I bet it, that would be an expensive Uber ride. Whatever it is, that's how much I would want to be paid for it. So it's not worth $300 to me to go. But if the tickets were $50, I'd be like, well, okay, well, that's that's more reasonable. You know, it's $100 cheaper. But I now I feel like, well, I'll never be able to go see him because I'll never have enough money to have it happen. You know, like I have to kind of start drawing the line somewhere because I have a family now. But I don't know. Like yeah. I, No, I was just saying like uh, when Michael Jackson was touring. Oh, Michael Jackson, yeah. That last tour. It was like $1,000 or something for a ticket. It was yeah. crazy. And like I was like thinking man that's a legend that's a living legend i would love to see that guy but i just can't afford to see him even though like even he even though he's alive right now (laughs) like at the time yeah it's like i can't see him i would love to see him but i can't it's crazy they price you out of it yeah i guess just because so many people are willing to pay that yeah i guess i don't know i mean i don't even know i don't even think there's anybody that i I, i've almost gotten to a point where i will give up seeing someone that i've always wanted to see just because i'm priced out you know like i I can't (laughs) so i'd never seen paul mccartney before but when i was in college he did a show i really wanted to go because i'd never seen him before and i had gotten a tax return back and my tax return was like 300 dollars, and so (laughs) i bought a ticket to see paul mccartney he played it like an arena and it was like five rows back from the floor of the arena and it was 250 dollars for the ticket and my dad said for 250 dollars a ticket we should be able to meet paul mccartney and yeah we <laughs> probably should have been able to meet him for 250 dollars but that was the most i ever spent on a ticket yeah that's expensive and i don't paul, think i've ever spent that much and paul mccartney is a legend so i better yeah, be seeing that's... somebody pretty legendary if i'm going to spend more than 250 to see a show but yeah i mean i've seen a lot of bands like i'm almost at a point where i can't justify paying it anymore i mean yeah and when i spent 250 dollars to see that show i was like five rows from the floor like one section over from the stage so it was really good seats yeah when jimmy page and robert plant did a tour in the 90s i went to see them they played a bunch of led zeppelin songs it was like 70 dollars a ticket and it was like halfway back on the floor now it's like 20 years later, like the Rolling Stones and Paul McCartney, they're playing shows at like the football stadium in San Diego or the baseball stadium and Pearl Jam's playing these shows. And just to get in the door, just to be in the last row, it's $150. And it's like, I'm not going to spend $150 to be in the last row. I better be, like my dad said, I better be able to like meet him for $150. Better be able to meet Eddie Vedder if that's how much I'm paying. Because I don't know, it's just to be that far back. Yeah, the most... 
most recently I got priced out of seeing Guns N' Roses. Oh yeah. Cuz I was they they just came to Cincinnati last summer and I was thinking, man, that's like probably the last time that's like a you know, those guys aren't going to be together again for a tour probably. Yeah. But yeah. it was I don't know, it was too expensive and like I was never like a huge Guns N' Roses fan. I mean, they are like legendary, but it's like, you know, I don't know. I well, kind of wish I would have gone, but at the same time, I can't myself for not going. The way that I kind of look at it is that... You know what I mean? So, do you know uh, Bootsy Collins? Do you know who that is? Oh, yeah. He's from Cincinnati. He is from Cincinnati. That's right. So, he was the bass player for yeah. uh, James yeah, Brown there's, and... There's for a Parliament restaurant downtown. Bootsies? Yeah. <laughs> well, anyway, he's phenomenal. <laughs> I never went there, but... I, I, I want to go there. But he's great. He's awesome. He's really great uh, as far as his performance goes. Me and my wife have seen him twice, and he's amazing. His tickets are $35 each. He plays all these P-Funk hits. He plays all of his original songs, and they're all great. And he has a great band that he plays with. And it's $35 to go see this, this guy perform. And the performance is worth so much more than $35. Five feet away from the guy, you spent $35 for the ticket, like including like tax. By the end of the night, you're blown away by how amazing it was. For a guy who's been, who's like probably one of the best bass players, you know, definitely the funkiest bass player in the world or whatever. Maybe it's not the best, but he's the funkiest. Yeah. If he's only charging $35, I'm getting a show that's going to like blow my mind. Then... I'm going to be hard. You're going to be hard. Your, it's going to blow your bootsies off. It's going to blow, blow your bootsies off. Yeah. <laughs> Pre, you're going to be hard pressed to find me spending so much more money on something else because it's like I'm getting premium entertainment for not that much money to see this guy perform. How much better is your show going to be if it costs like four times as much? Yeah. When did you see him? We saw him in, uh, in February, maybe. Oh, really? It was like a year, like, it was in 2016 we saw him. That's pretty sweet. Oh, yeah. I didn't know he was still touring and stuff. Yeah, I mean, he'll do a tour. I, I mean, we saw him twice, and me and my wife have been together for four years. So he tours at least every three years. And George Clinton, he tours with a band, like, every year. His band's really good, too. I mean, if, you like, if you're into That's funk cool. music, yeah, dancing and listen to funky songs and stuff like that, it's pretty good. Pretty fun show. There's a... Have you ever heard of uh, Freak Bass? I haven't heard of Freak Bass, but it sounds awesome. You might want to check them out, man. It's a guy from Cincinnati, but like I remember distinctly that like Bootsy Collins like helped him out, like picked him to be his like protege or oh yeah, whatever. Yeah, he's like a white he's a white dude from Cincinnati, but like I've seen him play and it's a really good show and he like does all this crazy stuff like he'll go off stage and come back on stage with a different costume like every couple songs like wearing a cape <laughs> like that just sounds crazy fun stuff. yeah but it's it's like a, he's like he's in the same mold of like really funky bass yeah dude i think that kind of stuff is really awesome you know i, I like that's the kind of stuff where i would love to go see a show where i know that the performer's really good and it's going to be a good show and it's going to be fun and I'm not going to have to spend that much money, you know? Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. Yeah, I even backed a Kickstarter project for that guy. Freak Bass guy. <laughs> I'm going to look up Freak Bass. Uh, I'll see. Uh, I'll let you know what I think. All right. Cool. 
All right, yeah, he's not... got a, he's got one really good song called "Do We Even Belong Together." Check that song out. All right, I'll check it, dude. All right, cool. All right, I gotta wrap it up.